What a beautiful morning of worship and praise already. Um, Psalm 103 is a chapter of the Bible that the Lord laid on my heart when this most recent season of difficulty began in my life. March the 18th of this year, everything was fine. And then March the 19th, um, I was going to pick up my daughters in Nashville. They'd been in East Tennessee and they'd gone. That's where I'm from. Um, gone to Nashville to be with my sister. And I went up there um, also to, I'd seen some deal for a boat motor on Facebook Marketplace. And everything's always for sale at my house. And I'm always looking to horse trade, that type of thing. But as I was driving up there, my shoulder started to hurt. It actually wasn't my shoulder, it was my elbow. It just started creeping up, and I never really felt that before. And as it crept up, it just started to feel really strange. And then the days passed, and it, the pain got immense. Um, I've had emotional pain before, um, spiritual pain but never physical pain beyond last year I'd broken my shoulder, my humerus, which there's nothing funny about breaking your humerus, but, um, but I had, this was a different kind of pain. And because I'd never experienced significant pain, I was having a hard time knowing what to do with this pain because I've seen my wife endure a lot. She's brought children into this world. She has endured cancer. She's endured so many things, and she grits her teeth and does life and is brave and strong. And um, I've seen her go through physical pain, but I'd never gone through physical pain. So I didn't have, you know, when the doctors, they ask you, and the nurses, on a scale of one to ten, you know, how bad is it? Well, if you don't have a reference point, how can you know? Like, I don't know what one is. I don't know what 10 is. I just know that it got really, really bad. And uh, to the point where I could not see, my vision was blurry except for what was right in front of me. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't talk either. When it would flare up, my shoulder, it would hurt so bad that I couldn't say Andrea's name. I could only say her first syllable. And then I would take some medicine and stuff like that. I tried physical therapy, all kinds of different things, and people were so kind to help. Talked to the doctors on the phone, went and saw the doctor, but no one knew that my shoulder was infected. Turns out, you're not close enough to see, but there's a little pink marker right here on this index finger. I was fishing, of course, and um, I got a scratch on my finger, which turned to a staph infection. And that was about a month and a half ago, probably two months now. And the doctors are saying that that right there traveled to right here, and it became a septic shoulder, and I didn't know I had a septic shoulder. And all of the sudden, what I thought was a shoulder injury, which I do have, an impinged joint, two fractures, and um, 
complete torn rotator cuff and a partial torn rotator cuff. But that was nothing and is nothing compared to the pain of the infection. I had no idea I was infected, had no idea that what was inside of me, if it was going to travel to my heart or brain, was going to kill me because the doctor said it was very possible that I was dazed from going sepsis. Which is hard to get my mind around that how everything was okay on March the 18th and that how March the 19th forward. I say all of that not to play a violin for you and get you to feel sorry for me. I just want you to know where I'm coming from here. Um, this is the first time in my life that I've ever experienced significant physical pain. And I don't think I'll ever talk to people who say they're hurting the same way again when it comes to physical pain. Because you don't know what you don't know. But anyway, through God's providences, I don't have time to tell the story, but I'm just going to list some names. Uh, Russ Johnson, um, a member of our church here. Uh, John Logan, a member of our church. Uh, Taylor Mathis, a member of our church, and Shannon Friary, also a member of our church, and also all of them play a significant role in the medical field here in Tupelo. Had it not been for their influences and in going to bat for me, and God providentially using them for me to get the treatment and the MRIs moved up so I could get the care I needed, it's very possible I would have died a few weeks ago. And that has been a sobering thing for me because it's not just that God spared my life. He allowed me to see providentially his use of other people to spare my life. So it was not just being spared, it was knowing that I had been spared. So that's where I've been these past few weeks. I want to share a story with you today, and this sermon is different. It's not really a sermon, it's a testimony. I don't like talking about me. I love talking, telling stories about my family, my children, uh, just because I love them. Uh, I love telling stories about doing life with you all, but I don't, I don't really like talking about me. Uh, contrary to what people may think from being a pastor, I don't like being the center of attention. Um, but today, I need to tell you a story about me and in doing so let's just understand that me talking about me today is talking about Jesus because ultimately all of our stories are his story what do we have that we have not received everything that's good about me is straight from God I can't take credit for a single thing because um, I know me People occasionally will, oh, Brother Matt, you, you know, and not everybody says this. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say the S-T-U-P-I-D word, um, but I'm not that. Um, I know not everybody likes me. I understand that. I, I had, um, I got a letter in the mail a few, a uh, uh, couple months ago, and it was a lady who was upset at, at me, and she's not a member of our church, and she just said, you know, it, I hear on the street that everybody likes you. She said, well, I see through it. And uh, <laughs> she said, I'm not buying a single bit of it. 
So I just, if you want to read the letter sometime, you can come by and I'll let you read it. I'm just telling you, every now and again, people will say, oh, Brother Matt, everybody loves you. That's not true. That's not true. But I am so blessed to be held by your love as a church because I know you love me and I love you. Um, there is one character of the Bible that I relate to more than any other. Nobody I love like Jesus. But I can't really relate to Jesus <laughs> because he's a man unlike any other. I'm so glad that he relates to me and that's all that matters. But there is one man in the Bible that I relate to more than any other and it's my favorite character in the whole Bible and it's a man named Jacob. Jacob in the Old Testament. I just love his story. I'm just going to share a little bit of his story today. I, I'm going to read some sections to you as we, as we go through this. I'm going to have to be quick about this here today. But the first one is going to be on the screen, but it's not in your notes if you want to write it down. Jacob has a dream in, in uh, Genesis chapter 28, verses 15 through 22. Jacob has a dream. Now, let me tell you about who Jacob is. He is the grandson of Abraham. He's the son of Isaac. He is an inheritor of the promises given to Abraham. And Jacob, if you're reading his story, you find out he loves his family. He loves his mama. He loves his daddy. And he really loves his mom. They've got a special relationship, so much so that mom works with Jacob to rip off dad. Dysfunctional family, Maybe that's, you know, why I feel like I can connect. Not that my family's dysfunctional. All of our families are dysfunctional. But when I read about Jacob, Jacob loves his mom, loves his dad, loves his home. Whereas Esau, was, his brother was totally different. He didn't care about the blessing, didn't care about the family, didn't care about the home place. He just wanted to get out of there and do his own thing and go see the world. Jacob loved home and he loved his family. And that's me. Um, people ask me, said, uh, Pastor Matt, um, when did you first think about uh, becoming a pastor? Well, I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But you, you got to realize my dad's a pastor. My dad's my hero. For as long as I can remember, I just wanted to be like my dad. Now, there's more to my call than that, but what I'm saying is, is that I grew up wanting to be my dad and my granddad. My granddad was a welder for Alcohol Aluminum Company in East Tennessee for 39 years. My father left the business world from the Taco Bell Corporation where he was a regional manager, went to seminary when I was 11 years old and I watched my dad follow the call of God on his life. And my dad became my hero. People say, who do you wanna be like as a kid? I was just, I wanna be like my dad. Now. That doesn't mean we always agree. Daddy and I have had some significant arguments. We don't talk about politics anymore. Um, we just don't. Um, but, um, and he and I don't disagree. That was years ago. We pretty much agree now because, of course, there's a song written by Paul Overstreet, seeing my father and me, and he said, the more I tried to prove him wrong, the more I proved him right. I found that true with my dad's life. But I relate to Jacob. He loved his home. He loved his family. And then also, there was this woman that he loved. There was this woman 
named Rachel, who was beautiful, and it was his sweetheart. Now, I know it's a complicated story, because I tell you I relate to Jacob. Jacob had four wives, I have one. Um, (laughs) But his favorite wife was Rachel, and my favorite wife is Andrea. Um, Andrea, if you do not know her, she goes to the later service. If you never met her, she's easy to spot. She's the most beautiful woman in our church. And she is the girl I've liked since before I liked girls, to quote Peter Parker from Spider-Man. And this story, like all good stories, is a story about Jesus, but it's also a story about a girl. But I want to read to you Jacob first. Jacob rips his brother off, steals his blessing, does so because mama tells him to, and we get to him fleeing his family, this would have been like score for Esau, a reason to leave home. But Jacob's a homebody, and now he's having to flee his home place. And he lays down at a place in the middle of the wilderness, and he falls asleep on a rock, and God gives him a vision of a staircase or a ladder where he saw angels descending and ascending up and down the ladder. And Jacob awakes and says, Surely God was in this place, and I didn't know it. I'm going to read to you verses 15. It says, Behold, I am with you. This is God speaking to Jacob. And your offspring shall all the fam- by, and in your offspring shall all the families of the world, earth, be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So interesting. God told Jacob from the beginning, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to use you to bless others, and I'm not going to leave you until I'm done. Such a key purpose and principle to remember. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and the gate This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. The boy wanted to go home. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. I relate to this story because I can think about my own life, of how God met me when I was a child, and how I had the privilege of of experiencing God's presence as a child. Look, did I drop my piece of paper? Oh, mercy. Thank you. And anyway, I, to tell you a story about how God began to work in my life, um, I first began to realize that God may be calling me to be a minister certainly watching my dad but i remember i was in middle school and my dad on staff there 
And David was bringing his neighbor to church that night. And that night was a very special night because Dr. Rogers was going to present the gospel. And David had asked my dad to pray for his neighbor. And my dad, we were riding to church that night, and he asked me, and he told me that this man was coming. I was just in middle school. That this man was coming, and he was going to be going to hear the gospel, and that, that I pray that God would do something in his life. Of course, I just sat there and said, okay. And I remember, I, I remember exactly what that man looked like. And we sat there in that huge auditorium. And I was about five rows back from him. And he was sitting by Pastor David Smith. And I watched that man the whole night. Still remember the funny shoes he was wearing. And I began to cry in the service. Because it touched me that that man needed God. And maybe that was one of the first times that I realized that something inside of me can't be from me. It has to be coming apart from me. That maybe God has something for me to do in the life of other people. But then there's another thing, the most significant thing that happened in my life outside of Jesus. Um, I'm not taking time to tell you how I came to the Lord. But in middle school, I came to the Lord and trusted him as my personal Lord and Savior. And friends, that's the only thing that matters ultimately. But put this picture up of me and this girl. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Wow. So this is my first wife. And um, we are in Colorado right there on a church bus. We have just sang the National Anthem at the Air Force Academy Chapel, that beautiful chapel out there in Colorado. And we were riding on the bus together and we were riding back to the hotel. And it was this summer that I knew this is the girl that I'm going to marry. That's ninth grade. And um, I loved riding on that bus after the Air Force Academy because the lights would they turn the lights off because it would get dark and I could hold her hand <laughs> and not get in trouble and it might kind of looking at it now I may be holding her hand right there that's kind of daring to have that on photo evidence get in trouble with the youth minister but anyway I want you to see this next picture uh, our our life just continued to grow and blossom this is our senior prom now we didn't do prom we did something called a junior senior banquet at the church which is prom without dancing and uh that's just the world that i grew up in um my children go to prom don't feel like but the world that i grew up in that was that was not acceptable and this is the world i grew up in and it was a blessed way to grow up by the way the older I get, the more I appreciate my childhood and my mom and daddy. But this is Andrea. This is our, our senior year there, and we're standing there at Bellevue Baptist Church. And I knew I was going to marry her. She knew she was going to marry me. 
one night at church, she surrendered to ministry during a missions conference. Bellevue Baptist Church fostered, and I wish I knew how to do this, because there's no doubt in my mind there are men and women and boys and girls in this room right now that God is calling you to be a pastor or a minister of some kind. And I, I don't have the gift Dr. Rogers do, does and did to call out the called. I'm just saying, if you know that's you, you need to say yes to God and let God use you. Because there is no experience like being used by God to bless his church. Anyway, this picture here, we both knew we were going to get married even there in high school. She at the World Missions Conference there at Bellevue, um, I mean, everything revolved around church for us. We both, neither of us went to the same school. We both went to church to see each other, sat by each other at church. I even got my first kiss on the cheek in church, in the sanctuary, after it was all over and my parents were gone. It was <laughs> glorious. Um, anyway, at the World Missions Conference, she goes forward and surrenders her life to ministry. And she said, I believe God's calling me to be a pastor's wife. Hmm. I already knew God was already working on me, and God's call on her spurred me to action. And she told me, I was sitting, we were sitting in the youth group section at church, and she said, I believe God's calling me to be a pastor's wife. And then there she was gone. She walked down the aisle. And I'm like, what are you doing that for? Um, and then the Holy Spirit began to work on me. And I, when I tell the story in jest, I'll say, listen, when she found out she was going to be a pastor's wife, I knew I needed to be a pastor. Like, but I'm oversimplifying it, though. That's not how it happened. I knew because God had knit my heart with hers. When God was doing that in her, I knew it was time for me to say yes to. So she went forward during the invitation. I went forward during the benediction. Awkward because the preachers aren't down there anymore. And I just walked and walked around until I found one of them and said, I need to surrender my life to ministry because God's calling me. And so that's our story. We began this wonderful journey. We both went to Mississippi College, uh, a wonderful school down um, in Clinton, Mississippi, um, what we would consider a superior Mississippi education. Um, but anyway, we went to MC and we began this wonderful, magical journey. Loved Mississippi College. I began working at a small church in the Mississippi Delta in Indianola. And y'all, I am from East Tennessee. My family lives in the foothills of the Smokies, and I moved to Indianola. It is so flat there, you can watch your dog run away for three days. 
But when I was there, I just fell in love with God's people there. And people would tell me, oh man, going up to the Delta, you know, that's hard stuff, hard folks up there. Maybe for some people, I, I just loved the people in the Delta. But I began to notice something. I've never had a hard time loving people. And that can't be me. That must be Jesus. Then from there, I served as a youth minister in Pearl and then Knoxville and then became a pastor in South Mississippi and ultimately became your pastor. I've been here now for a little over six years. My friend, my best friend in the world is a guy named Kerry Hughes, pastors of church in Cary, Illinois. My friend and I were talking, we talk once a week, and um, this was about a month ago and when he was calling and praying for me and praying for my shoulder, and he just said, Matt, he said, can I just be honest with you? And I was like, sure. He's like, when I saw you in college and Andrea he said I just looked at you and thought man this guy has rockets strapped to his shoes God is going to do such amazing things he is going to have an amazing life and he said Matt I had no idea how hard your life was going to be. And I didn't either. Um, there's an, a next picture I want to show you before I read this next passage. Um, if you'll put that on the screen. It's an Ultrastown picture. We have a lot of these. Um, <laughs> um, But what you don't know is this was the fourth and final miscarriage that we had. And that was the day we had two daughters already. And that was the day Andrea and I had had enough. Because it was three straight miscarriages. And we said no more. We're not going to do this anymore. You know, I, was, I found this picture because I've been at home nursing my shoulder. And it just makes me so sad. I don't really think about these four babies much because of the other things that have happened in our life. But this is probably the moment where my vision of, oh man, I'm going to have a great life and everything's going to be wonderful and God's been so good and came crashing down. Is the cold start reality of death from a baby I never got to meet. I don't know why that makes me so sad, but it does. Jacob has an encounter with God in G Genesis 32, verse 22. Jacob has married his Rachel. 
I relate to Jacob because I married my Rachel. She's beautiful. She's wonderful. And by God's grace, like I said, I didn't have to marry the other three. I just got to get Rachel. And I tell Andrea this all the time when I see her. I was like, honey, you're my Rachel. You're my Rachel. Because in, in the story, it's so stinking obvious that Jacob is infatuated and just head over heels for Rachel. And it's so stinking obvious that he just tolerated Leah, his other wife. And listen, I know life is not like that for everybody. Some of y'all are married to people that you don't like. I know, because you tell me, all right? Um, <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that's not my story. I'm married to somebody that I love. I'm married to my best friend, and she is the most beautiful person I've ever laid eyes on. She's the godliest person I know. And I'd rather be around her than anybody on any given day, on any given night, on any given circumstance. I want to be where she is. So I relate to Jacob. I have my Rachel. But then life just got hard for Jacob. He had some in-law troubles. I have good in-laws, but he had some in-law troubles. And then there's just other things that got hard. And Jacob then has to reunite with his brother Esau. I've got to speed this up. Um, I'm not going to read it to you because I don't have time. Jacob wrestles with the angel of God. And they wrestle on into the night. And Jacob asks him, if you want to look at it in verse 29, please tell me your name. He said, why is it you asked my name? And he blessed them. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. But Jacob says something in verse 26. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And that begins something that I want you to understand as I wrap this story up and these things that I want you to understand. How have I made sense of all of these troubles that have happened in my life? I haven't. But one thing I've learned is you don't let him go until he blesses you. Now, he's never going to let go of you because even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. But I'm saying in the depths of your despair, you don't let him go. I relate to that about Jacob. There's one, two other stories that I want to share just really quickly from Jacob. Jacob, when he eventually is reunited with his family and he comes to Egypt and Joseph is alive and Jacob's experienced so much stuff. His daughter's been taken advantage of. His wife has died. He thinks his son is dead. All these hard things he's experienced and eventually he's reunited with his son Joseph and Jacob goes and he stands before Pharaoh and as I was reading through the Bible this year, I caught this and I was like, yes, that right there. In chapter 47, verse 7, it says, And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? Listen to what Jacob says. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. For they have not attained to the days and the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. I read that and I thought, 
that is exactly how I feel. My days have been short and hard. And I did not used to feel that way. I can't fault Jacob here. Jacob has lost his wife. Jacob has lost one of his sons, kind of, even though he didn't really lose him. His other sons just faked his death. Complicated. He's in the middle of a famine. He's lost his flocks. He's lost his herds. He's lost all this hardship. And when he is asked by Pharaoh, how old are you? He says, well, 130. And by the way, my years have been short and hard. I relate to that. Because this last decade has been short and hard. Here's what happens when you experience pain. If you don't know my story, in the last decade, we've dealt with a son that needed open heart surgery at birth. From that to losing a son in 2018 to facing cancer while my wife was pregnant in 2019. Other things that I'm not going to tell you about. And then also, most recently, almost dying because of a shoulder. When bad things happen, I want to give you three things that I struggle with because of what has happened in my life. Number one, very quickly, after bad things happen, it's easy to get like Jacob, to get cynical and angry. Now, by God's grace, I've not become cynical and angry towards people, and that's God's grace because God's given me a love for people. But I have become cynical and angry towards life. I used to never cuss or curse. And then my son died. I don't curse at people. But sometimes when something bad happens, it will bubble up out of me and I'm ashamed of it. What happened? That's not the way I grew up. Also, another thing, not only do you become cynical when you hurt, you worry. You worry. Just sit around and worry. And by the way, let me help you with worrying. Uh, You can't get rid of it. And when we worry, we think, well, if we just knew the future, it'd be okay. Well, Jesus knew the future, and when he worried, he swept drops of blood and nearly killed him. So it's a good thing we don't know the future because our worry would kill us. But I worry. I used to not do that. Also, I have a monkey on my back. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like this week, there was something that happened in my son's life, Peter, that was very alarming that we had to run and get him tested this week because if it had been what it possibly could have been, he would be a St. Jude patient. He's not going to be by God's grace. But when we faced that this week, the monkey got on my back and the clock, it just, everything began to fall all over again. I don't know how to get the monkey off your back. It's just there. There's one more picture I want you to see, the last one. The most defining moment of my life 
is the moment that he died. And I can't undo that in my life. And when I look at Jacob and I see him talk about his life being short and hard, I say, yes, I know what you mean. But I want to leave you with something positive. I'm out of time. I'm sorry. The last section of Scripture. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But Genesis chapter 48. I'm just going to read to you verses 15 and 16. Jacob is at the end of his life. And he's blessing his grandsons. And the same man who a chapter earlier said, my life has been short and my life has been hard, is the same man who's blessing his grandchildren. And I want you to hear his words. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd, all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Did you catch what he just said? The same man who just a chapter earlier said, it's been short and it's been hard now says at the end of it all as he's blessing his children my god was with me in every single circumstance which three things promises providence and presence these are what god gives you when you're in pain his promises all you can hold on to. His presence, which is the only thing that matters. And also his providence. That you see God at work in all of these things. And you know he is with you. Your pain may be different than mine. I don't know what you've gone through. But here's what I have for you. Are you hurting? Are you grieving over a dead kid, a dead spouse? Are you grieving over a dysfunctional relationship, something going wrong with your life? Look to Jacob's life. Number one, you hold on to him and don't let go until he blesses you. Number two, just because your life is falling apart doesn't mean you can't be a blessing to others. There is nothing more fulfilling than blessing the people around you and letting Jesus bless them through you. Don't think for a moment that you're so wounded that God can't use you. And then finally is this, is regardless, you bless his name. I had a friend ask me earlier this week, he said, Matt, after all you've been through, do you consider yourself blessed? I said, man, I'm the most blessed person I know. I don't know anybody more blessed than me.
And I mean that. I wouldn't wish on any of you the garbage that I have had to endure. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But I would wish on each of you the power of his presence in the midst of the pain. If I could somehow separate that from the struggles and give you his presence, I would want you to experience what I have been able to experience day in and day out in my troubles because I know exactly what Jacob is saying at the end of his life. God redeemed me out of all of it. And his angel was right there with me in the midst of it. I have never been alone. Don't tell me he's not real. And also, don't tell me he's not good. I know better. I've seen and tasted his goodness in the worst possible situations. This is my story. I relate to Jacob, but most importantly, the only reason it matters is it's because of Jesus. I want to say one final thing. Thank you for loving me, and thank you for loving my children and loving my wife. When I get together with other pastors and pastors' wives, they talk about how hard they got it and how mean the people of God are and this chairman of the deacons and this committee and blah, 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 blah. And listen, I can't judge. Maybe they do work for, you know, the Antichrist or something. I don't, I, I don't know. I can't judge because I've never pastored that church. But I sit there and I listen to them and I think, dear God in heaven, thank you so much that I get to be amongst the people that love me. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's been hard to think about all these things today for me, but Lord, you have redeemed me and led me out of every one, and I want your people to know today you will redeem them and lead them out of every one. They may not see it right now, but we all have a moment later in life where we will come and say, listen, his angel was with me the whole time. Lord, I pray you would make this truth so serious and true to us that your presence would grip us like never. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.